Well, I'm sure glad I didn't fall off the stage backwards. <laughs> Good to see each of you here this morning. Patricia and Chuck Nielsen, good to have you here this morning. Others who are visiting, perhaps for the first time, so glad that you scheduled time to be with us in the presence of the Lord. Uh, we have um, been working through the Gospel of John, and today, uh, Lord willing, we will complete uh, chapter one. And uh, it's really about. Uh, becoming followers of Jesus. <clears throat> Do you know, Jesus, it was prophesied, would be born in Bethlehem. And as was read uh, by Catherine, uh, Bethlehem's about, I don't know, five to eight miles south of Jerusalem. <clears throat> and yet, he was born in Bethlehem because there was a census that was being taken, and it required every man to go back to the city where they were born. And Joseph took his betrothed, his intended wife, who was already near giving birth through a miraculous and mysterious uh, experience that I'm sure Joseph didn't fully understand, even though an angel showed up and said, don't be afraid to take Mary to be your wife, because that which is born in her is of the Holy Spirit. Well, Jesus and his family, as you know, Jesus was born, and we'll consider some of that as the weeks uh, move forward toward Christmas. Uh, but his family took some time being directed different places, Egypt and whatnot, and finally uh, they, uh, Mary and Joseph and the young baby Jesus, found their way back to Nazareth. Uh, Nazareth, if you look at the map, is the Sea of Galilee is up in the central Galilean area of Israel, and Bethlehem is, is in fact, if you Take your finger at the Sea of Galilee, the very southern portion of that Sea of Galilee. Uh, Nazareth is removed by Bethlehem by the whole distance between the Sea of Galilee and uh, the Dead Sea, uh, Jerusalem just being a little bit to the west and north of the Dead Sea. I say all that to say that was a huge journey to make on horseback or walking, and we think... We have it difficult sometimes, and to be sure we do, but it was so different then, wasn't it? Well, we're gonna, I'm going to pick up the story uh, of Jesus some 30 years later. Uh, he came to, uh, this, to John the Baptist. Last week we heard about John being a forerunner of this Jesus and his ministry and who he was, and uh, Jesus then, after he was baptized, um, the Spirit of God fell on Jesus, and John observed the Holy Spirit actually uh, manifesting and coming upon him in a tangible fashion that John said it looked like a dove, came on him and remained on him. And from that point on, uh, John 
began to point to Jesus and say things like, he must increase and I must decrease. And in fact, that's the calling of everyone who is to be a follower of Jesus. Jesus is to increase and we're to decrease. And some of us kick against our decreasing. And what makes us, here's my shirt again, uh, what makes it difficult for us to allow Jesus to resume his rightful place as king and Lord is because we've come to Jesus so often out of what he can do for us, and we become fans of Jesus. Now, I've modified my shirt from two weeks ago uh, from becoming fans of Jesus to becoming followers of him. You see, what Jesus is calling um, us to become is not fans who are primarily being comforted by the presence of Jesus and coming to him so that he'll give to us certain things like his gifts or to do certain things for us like heal us, and he does all of that to be sure. But Jesus calls us to be, and everybody said together, followers of him, and followers are different. And it's this thing of being a follower that I want to uh, share with you this morning, and I want to begin reading, if you would, uh, travel along with me beginning at verse 43 of John chapter 1. And I just want to read the text, and then we'll come back and just uh, comment ever so briefly here. Um, Now, what uh, was shared last week, you might remember that um, Andrew was called by Jesus to follow him. And Andrew turned around and found a guy named Simon, whom we know to be Peter, also the rock. And uh, so Jesus called um, Andrew, Andrew called Peter to follow this Jesus. See, Jesus calls people to be followers. So now in verse 43, the following day after Andrew and Simon were called, the following day, uh, Jesus wanted to go to Galilee, and there he found a guy named Philip, who said, and Jesus said to him, follow me. You see, Jesus is looking for followers, make no mistake about it. Now, Philip was from a little town this are my editorial comments. A little bit, uh, if Nazareth is, uh, if the Sea of Galilee is here and Nazareth is sort of a little south and west of the, the south, southern tip of the Sea of Galilee, uh, uh, this, this city of Bethsaida, uh, now Philip was from Bethsaida, the city of Andrew and Peter. So they were from across the Sea of Galilee, a little bit north. And it's curious that all three of these guys Um, are from the same city. So uh, Philip, it says, who was called by Jesus to follow me, verse 44, now Philip was from Bethsaida, the city of Andrew and Peter, and Philip found Nathanael and said to him, we found the one whom Moses in the law and also the prophets wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, remember down in the south, Jesus of Nazareth, um, and Nathanael uh, then said to him, uh, Uh, Can anything good come out of Nazareth? 
Now, I don't know what was in back of his comment, but I suggest that Nazareth was perceived as um, a small, no-account borough, if you will. Uh, I won't mention any, but there are some smaller towns around the metropolis of Wilmington uh, that, that if we're um, not real careful, we can sort of look down our nose because they're from not where we're from. Well, see, that's what was going on here. Uh, so uh, uh, Philip uh, found Nathaniel, and Nathaniel was told that, hey, we found uh, the one who Moses wrote about in the law, uh, Jesus from Nazareth. And Nathaniel said, can anything good come out of Nazareth? And Philip said to him, come and see. Just come and see. Uh, so Jesus then saw Nathanael, who was invited by Philip to come and see. So he shows up to Jesus, and verse 47, Jesus saw Nathanael coming to him and said to him, Behold, an Israelite indeed, in whom no, there is no guile or deceit. And Nathanael said to him, eh, Wait a minute, how do you know me? And Jesus answered and said to him, before Philip called you when you were under the fig tree, wherever the fig tree was, out of the sight of Jesus, I saw you. Whoa, this is curious and different. Verse 49, Nathanael answered and said to him, Rabbi, you're the son of God. You are the king of Israel. Jesus answered and said to him, because I said to you, I saw you under the fig tree, do you believe? Nathanael, you're going to see greater things than these. He said to him, most assuredly, I say to you, hereafter, you will see heaven open and the angels of God both ascending and descending upon the Son of Man. Now, if you're familiar with that phraseology of angels of God ascending and descending, it also is reported to us the first time in Genesis chapter 28, the dream that uh, Jacob had you know, Jacob's ladder, and he saw the angels of God ascending and descending. And he said, oh my goodness, I, 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 God is here and I didn't even know it. Yeah, God is here and I didn't even know it. And, and I'm wondering, uh, I wonder if there are some of us who, like Jacob, who is being referenced here to Nathaniel, have, have, have been among the people of God, and God is present right now in our midst and yet in us, and I wonder if, if we're like Jacob, uh, God is here, and I didn't even know it. You see, which, which this is simply um, a, a call to recognize that uh, for those who follow Jesus, um, I'll stop doing that now, I know some of you are going to be... <laughs> For those who follow Jesus, there is a portal into the heavenly realm. Jacob said, God is here, and I didn't even understand it. I didn't even know it. And you see, there's going to be more. Uh, you're, you're going to see the angels of God ascending and descending. Now, Jesus quotes that text when he sees Matthew, the one in whom there is no guile, the one who said, can anything come out of Podunk? You know, Nazareth down there. And Jesus said, hey, I knew you while you were over there snoozing under the fig tree. And he said, woo. And to that, Jesus said, 
Nathaniel, you're going to see a whole lot more than this. Now, beloved, when you begin to see Jesus for who He is, the eyes begin to open, the, the ears begin to hear, the heart begins to perceive something that's absolutely new and extraordinary and miraculous and mystical. Angels of God ascending and descending. Now, I've never seen angels, by the way. Some people do. I have never seen them. I'm like Jacob. Oh, God is here, and I didn't even know it. And I suspect some of you are too. Well, let's, let's move along here. Uh, so the text then, Jesus is calling people, and um, I think there's a reason why. See, the question is, uh, what is Jesus producing by calling these people to follow Him? Now, i got a slide up here. I don't know if you're going to be able to see it, but let me just, uh, whoops, wrong one. Let me just uh, see if I can tee it up here. Yeah, there it is. What I'm talking about this morning is that Jesus begins His ministry, and He starts calling people into what the New Testament calls uh, oikos. Now, oikos sounds like a, a cognitive, a oink. No, it's not a cognitive of what a pig does. An oikos, you know, oink. No. Um, an oikos is what the church has been called to do, to be, in fact, uh, the best explanation of what oikos is, is that we're called to be an extended family on mission with Jesus. So Jesus starts calling people to follow Him, not so that they can just be blessed, but so that they can begin to join Jesus in His ministry or mission. Why else would he say, follow me? Come join me in what God, my Father, has called me to do. And that's exactly what Jesus begins to do. Now, I began to think, you know, what makes, um, what made Myrtle Grove great back in the golden age? You know, back in the 80s. I was here during the 80s, so I got to see it firsthand. I only have a perspective. It's not the only perspective. But there are a couple of things, I think, that made um, Myrtle Grove great. And I'm going to list them here. The first one is, having just read this scripture, is that there was a great expectation of God's presence back in the 80s. Now, I'm not saying there isn't an expectation now. I'm saying when I look back to that golden time, the 80s and into the, the 90s, can anybody give me an amen? There was a great expectation of the presence of God in our midst. Anybody? Was anybody here during that time? There were a few. Look at that. And, and up in the balcony. You see, there was an expectation that God was going to show up. There was an expectation that God was present. It wasn't like Jacob who said, oh, God was here and I didn't even know it. No, people were coming because of the expectation of the presence of God because we said we, don't might, we might not know a lot, but we know one thing, God's here. Now, the second thing that I think was happening during those days, the first one was expectation of God's presence. The second one was um, an, ex, uh, an expectation, no, um, an excitement over relationships expectation of the presence of God, and we're excited to be together in all of our, you know, humanity. We, we wanted to come together and be together in order uh, to experience the corporate blessing of the presence of God. Do you know God does some stuff corporately that He doesn't do individually? And God does some things individually that He doesn't do corporately. But see, both are important. 
You see, and, and there was an expectation of God's presence and there was an excitement of being together. Wasn't there, John? I mean, you know, it's just like, oh, for all of our differences, we just wanted to be together. We just wanted to be, you know, because God was here and we recognized God in each other. Now, there, there's a third element that I'll mention, and that was the exhilaration of being on mission together. We, we just weren't excited about the presence of God. We weren't just um, uh, expectant of His presence or excited about being in relationship with each other, but there was an exhilaration that God was doing something bigger than us individually. Isn't that, wouldn't it be exciting if God recaptured our heart with an expectation of His presence and excitement of really being together in koinonia, in fellowship, in, in authentic, genuine community where we are known and being known by other people and the exhilaration of that. We're just not in relationship because God's present, but we're about something bigger than ourselves. And exhilaration comes from the Spirit uh, because we're on a mission, and it's not our mission. It's the mission of Jesus. So as we begin to look then uh, at what Jesus was doing by saying, I won't turn around, follow me, uh, was saying, come join me in what the Father has called me to do. And I'm going to do some great things. In fact, you're going to see angels ascending and descending, there will be a portal open in the heavenly realm that people literally are dying to see. They ask questions like, is God real? Does God really care about me? You know, I got tears in my eyes when we were singing the song, You're a Good, Good Father. You know, you see, when your heart's captured by understanding how good he is, you just want to share it with other people. You see, it is the expectation of his presence, the excitement of relationship, and the mission is bigger than ourselves. I believe God is wanting to restore these three elements in greater measure to this congregation and to every congregation upon the face of the earth because that's what Jesus was about. So he called these disciples... Uh, and he said, uh, come follow me. So, the, if you will, the vision uh, and or mission of Jesus was to, of these ragtag fishermen, we're going fishing, <laughs> he called them and said, follow me by virtue of hanging with Jesus and establishing, letting him establish his character and developing the competency to do what Jesus did. He said, I'm going to make you fishers of men. You see, we're going to be about something that's going to be so exciting. Uh, his, God is calling us to be fully devoted followers of Jesus. We didn't want to give you the wrong shoulder. You see, God's calling us to be fully devoted followers of Jesus. The question is a pastoral one. And it's a loving and a kind one, but it is to ask the question rhetorically, no hands, are you a follower or are you a fan? Now, that's for you to decide. That's the work of the Holy Spirit, by the way. No pastor can make that happen. That's the work of the Holy Spirit. So the vision of Jesus then is to develop fully devoted followers of Jesus and the mission then and the purpose if Jesus' mission is to develop fully devoted followers of Jesus, what ought the vision and mission of any church be? 
It's not a trick question. It's to do what Jesus did. You see, we're to develop his character, but also his competency. We're to be like Jesus and do what Jesus did. Now, we spent a lot of time talking about where is Jesus? Where is God? God was in Christ. The, the fullness of the Godhead dwelled in Jesus in bodily form, and Jesus now is living his life in us. Why do you think he's doing that? In order to develop the character of Jesus, he wants to get my phony, flabby character out of the way. You know, we could use a lot of other terms for that, carnal personality, etc., out of the way, so that the real character of Jesus would begin to be manifested. That's what Romans 8 says, to become conformed to his image. But not just his character, but to begin to develop competency, the very competency of Jesus. In other words, with Jesus in me, I ought to start doing what Jesus did, not just act like Jesus acted in character, but begin to develop competencies of doing what Jesus did. The question is, what did Jesus do? Well, he did a number of things. Um, Jesus called his disciples to develop relationship with the Father. Uh, he called his followers uh, to develop an um, attentiveness to the leading of the Holy Spirit. Jesus said things like, you know, I didn't do anything except what I saw the Father do. I didn't say anything except what I heard the Father say. I did absolutely nothing except what the Father said and did. Why? Uh, so that he, we would understand, like Philip later on, uh, just show us the Father and it will be satisfied. And Jesus said, if I've been with you so long and you haven't gotten it, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. That's the end goal. The end goal is to be uh, like Jesus in his character, but also in his competency. A lot of the church spends a whole lot of time being nice and wanting to become like Jesus in our attitudes, etc., but we have done very little with actually developing the competencies of doing what we see Jesus doing throughout the New Testament. So, Jesus, his mission is the same as our mission, and that is to develop a relationship with the Father. Everybody, everybody just kind of point up. You know, every, Jesus called his disciples to do stuff related to up. Worship, uh, pray, uh, celebrate communion, all of those th things that, that up stuff, you know, is, is relationship, interactive relationship with the Father. He's called his disciples to do that. But he didn't just call his disciples to do that. That's the stuff we like. We just love God. I tell you what, we just get, I just get lost sometimes in the presence of Jesus when nobody's around looking. You know, I just, I, you just love his presence. But, he, but Jesus did not just call us to up. He also called us to uh, in. Up and in. You see, in is in relationship. He called his disciples to be together, not just with him, but with, it, with each other. See, that's that dynamic that we looked at earlier, expectation of God's presence and excitement about relationships. When, when the king is in residence in your heart, you want to do up stuff, but you also want to do in stuff, in relationship, in consist. Uh, uh, there's a const, Jesus had a constant investment uh, in relationships with those around him, his followers. That's why he said, follow me. We're just going to hang out. And you know what? He spent three years just doing that. 
They didn't go to seminary. They didn't get a master of divinity. They didn't do anything. They just hung out with Jesus. In fact, there's a Hebrew, uh, well, it's a Hebraism that says, you know, they just followed in the dust of the rabbi. In other words, they just walked around behind Jesus and they watched what he was doing. They watched how he acted, how he interacted with people, with the Father and with other people, and they were called to do just that. Well, uh, Jesus had something else on his mind. He had up stuff, everybody point up. And he had in stuff, being in relationship with other people, just point around. He's called us in relationship, but Jesus didn't just call us to up stuff and in stuff. What did he call us to? He called us to out stuff. You see, up stuff is where we love God with all of our heart. That's the great commandment. Love. What's the greatest commandment, Jesus? Love God. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one, and thou shalt love the Lord with all of your heart, all of your mind, all of your strength, up stuff and in stuff, your neighbor as yourself. Now, I suspect that many in the church in America love the up stuff, and they tolerate a lot of the in stuff. But I'm telling you, that is not the mission of Jesus alone because he has called his disciples to out stuff. Up stuff, in stuff, out stuff. Now, um, followers, true followers of Jesus express all three of these dimensions uh, in a uh, balanced and individual and corporate uh, context. Now, let me, I don't know if you can see that little um, triangle there. That's the, the best I can do. And I got this from a book called Leading Missional Communities. It's just been, uh, it's been wrecking me. Uh, and, and basically, this book talks about the necessity of the American church rethinking the mission and the ministry of Jesus. Uh, and we're, to, to rethink the mission and ministry of Jesus... I don't know if you can see that little word that popped up at the apex that says up. You see, the ministry of Jesus uh, and following in the dust of the master is that we learn to do what Jesus did, and he spent lots of time with his father. He, he just hung out with him. And disciples then, those who are followers of Jesus, begin to watch Jesus doing that, and the, the, the followers of Jesus want to be like Jesus, so they begin to spend time with their Father. They spend time with Jesus. And when you're born of the Spirit, when the Spirit begins, uh, two weeks ago I said, when, when a person moves into a realm of recognizing that we're under um, a new operating system, when the Spirit of Jesus enters into our heart, we want to be what Jesus is. We want to be like Jesus. We want to do what Jesus did. We want to worship the Father, and we want to be in relationship uh, with others, and that's the great commandment that I alluded to uh, earlier. I don't know if you can see that. I think maybe you can, right? Let's see where to go. Right there, the great commandment. We got up stuff, being with the Father, interactive relationship with the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, and we have uh, in stuff, that is being with one another, love the Lord with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, and your neighbor as yourself, uh, but there's also uh, the great uh, commission. 
which says, All authority in heaven and earth has been given to me, Jesus said, Go. No, we like up. Go and make disciples of all nations. No, we like in. We just want to be in. We want to be with people that are like us. We, we don't want to be uh, afraid of being rejected. You see, but Jesus, if we're to follow Jesus in the truest sense of the word, it's not only to grow in studying the Bible and having communion and loving God and worship and all that stuff that we love to do, and it's not just living in relationship with each other because, you know, love your neighbor as yourself, but it's also beginning to learn how to do uh, this, this little thing called out. And beloved... As your pastor for some season yet to be defined, I want to say to us that that's the growing edge of Myrtle Grove. That's where we must go. Not because I say so, but because Jesus, who is king, said that's what I'm about. Well, he said things like, uh, you know, um, if you love me, keep my commandments. He said things like, take up your cross daily and follow me. Uh, he said a lot of different things, but basically it was, um, if you're really going to follow me, you got to do what I do, not just say what I say and act the way I act, but you need to develop some competencies, some, some tools to begin to do the full gospel, the up, the in, in authentic community and the out where we begin to share our lives with non-believers who, from our perspectives, often we look down our noses at them because they're from Nazareth. They're from other places. They don't act the way we do. Uh, Jesus said, um, um, I didn't come to call the healthy. Remember that? I came to call the sick people. If we're honest, we don't like sick people. I mean, you know, I'm just talking people different than us, not sneezy people. We don't like them either <laughs> sometimes. But see, we, Jesus came to seek and save that which was lost. I remember when I was lost. Remember the song, I once was lost, but now I'm found, was blind, the amazing grace. I was telling Ron and Marilyn Anderson, we had them over for dinner I guess it was last night. Seems like a week ago. <laughs> I remember standing on a street corner in Puerto Rico, and you've heard this. I was stoned. Just <laughs> how lost can you get? I was watching a big ruckus out on the street, and some people walked up to me and shared that Jesus loved me and died for me. That's the mission of Jesus. Now, why did Jesus take that seed? and planted in my heart, and from that germinate a new life called a follower, I don't know. But that's what Jesus wants to do with every lost person, and we're walking by them every day. Now, this isn't getting heavy on, this isn't jumping your stuff, you know. I'm just saying that's what I do. And I suspect that's what many of us do. Not everybody, to be sure. But Jesus calls us uh, not just to up, not just to end relationship, but he calls us out to share the good news of Jesus every place uh, we go. Well, 
let me give you a couple of examples, then we'll land this plane and move toward uh, communion here. Um, but w- what would up, if, if we were real disciples slash followers of Jesus, what would it look like uh, to do up really well? Now, we might, we might list lots of things, and we could fall into works, and, you know, we got to do all of these things. But what if we just boiled, boiled it down to Jesus wants us to be together and love God? Here's what it might look like. It might, it might look like just showing up once a week to worship God together. Do you know we have... About 50% of our people, 50% who come once a month or once every two weeks. Now, that is not condemnation. But see, if somebody doesn't broach the question and go, is that really a follower of Jesus? Unless you're enacted on by something outside, like your kids get sick or you wreck the car or, you know, something. We all can miss being here. But... Normally speaking, followers show up. If we had everybody show up on one Sunday, we couldn't seat everybody. I guarantee you there are 600 people in this congregation, and we're tracking about 300 right now. We would be forced into two services. And in fact, that's what we're waiting on. It's not that we don't want to do two services. I've done three services for lots of time. But see, we're waiting for the people of God to go, Let's really begin to follow Jesus. And if you have to miss, praise God by the grace, just miss. But by and large, if you don't need to miss, it's not about being a fan and being comfortable. It's about being a follower. And Jesus said, follow me. Now, let's look at another uh, option about uh, in, in stuff. Up would be the minimum standard might be just to show up once a week. You know, I'd be here even if I weren't pastor. In fact, that's how I became pastor. I was in the back here, you know, licking my wounds from being stupid, and you know the the story. And I was just, we have to go somewhere. we got to be in church. Why? Because God did something in our hearts, and it wasn't good enough to sit home and do other things. I love to fish. I love to hunt. I love to shoot. I love, there's a lot of things I can do. But guess what? I love something more, and that's love Jesus, and I want to be in his presence where the anointing of God is manifesting, and I have the expectation of God's presence, and I see it being manifested in my life. The second thing, what would it look like to be in relationship with each other, and that would be to be part of a, a vibrant community of other believers at least once a week. I don't, don't anybody get under condemnation. You know, but be in God's presence corporately once a week and be in another, uh, well, actually what I would call either a small group or, whoops, another uh, word would be missional community. Now, I like that word, and that comes from this book uh, by Michael Green, I think his name is, um, Leading Missional Communities, because small groups can really... As important as they are, they can focus on up stuff, and they can focus on in stuff, but they often forget about out stuff. Now, if you take half a wheel and cut it in half, it'll roll for a while, and then it goes flat. But missional communities, communities 
whether they're small groups or larger groupings, where there's an understanding of loving God, where there's an understanding of sharing relationship really and being in a community at least once a week, and then being intentional to serve and love others to Jesus. That was the mission and the vision of Jesus. That's where we're heading. That's where we're, we're spending time just prayerfully considering, God, how do you want to do this? God's calling me to, to be one, to do one, to start a missional community. You see, I'm in, I'm in small groups. You know, I meet in prayer every Wednesday night, and prayer is important. But God wants, wants us to pray as we go, to pray, to be in his presence, to reach out, and to be involved with, with other people. Uh, well, I guess what I'm saying is if we're really going to follow, the minimum might be just to come together and worship God corporately up. Uh, secondly, be in a group of some sort, a community where the mission of Jesus is being explored, grappled with, and actually done. See, Jesus said stuff like, why do you call me Lord, follower, disciple, but not do what I say? Now, if, if this congregation and if other congregations around begin to be uh, gripped by the reality of who Jesus is and what he's calling us to and to be with him and like him and then to be in relationship with other people. And I know some of you are doing this. And then to go out and to share, it's a whole lot easier to go out as a group than it is to go out individually. See, because there's that thing we got across called the chicken line. Now, some of you don't have that, but others of us do. We're a little bit frightened to share Jesus verbally with other people for fear of being uh, rejected. Uh, so, okay, followers are developing the character and the competency of Jesus. There are people who are learning uh, to be like Jesus, but also learning to do what Jesus did. Jesus said, follow me. And in following him, he was developing a missional community, a community of people who were going to love God and who were going to share their lives with each other and were going to be around doing the stuff that Jesus was doing. That's what the mission was about. People are, who are becoming who Jesus, uh, developing the character and the competency are people who are becoming who Jesus would be if he were actually living your li his life in you. And you realize he is. You see, uh, someone whose life and ministry begins to reflect the life and the ministry of Jesus. Now, our commission as followers is to compassionately reach out to those around us, to invite them to join us in our community, to share the story of the good news in whatever ways are appropriate, don't be afraid to use your words. There's a myth going around that you just got to love people and serve them and do something for them and somehow they'll understand by osmosis that it's coming from Jesus. Not so. You see, how shall they hear unless somebody tells them? Somebody had to come up to my sorry hide and say, you know what, Jesus loved you and died for you. Really? Wow. Took me three months to be awakened. But that's what happens when the Spirit of God gets control. So we share our story, we make them disciples and gather them into families who then follow Jesus together. You see, families, extended family on mission with Jesus. God is restoring the church's ability to function fruitfully 
uh, in discipleship making, in disciple making uh, and mission the way the early church did. I think God's doing this across the globe right now. And some of us are just awakening to it. And some of us have been way ahead of the pack, and they've, we've, you've been doing it for a long time. You see, the, the goal is to learn how to function as an extended family on a mission. Now, let me give you a couple real quick examples, and then I'll end, and we'll do our uh, communion here. Um, I got two of the most amazing letters from people that were recipients of the Thanksgiving ministry. And, and one of them, I mean, they both were over-the-top thankful how gracious it was that, that people uh, came and brought us these two meals, and they actually sat down, and they, they talked with me, and, and they, I, we, I was just so, so blessed. And I got on the phone, and I called this uh, lady uh, back up. I did, I did not actually get to talk with her, but I left a message and left my phone number, my private cell, and said, if there's anything that I can do, just give me a call. Text me if you can. Call me if you need to. And if there's anything... You see, it really is about relationship. See, it's not about more activities where we're just worshiping and stuff. It's not just about being in, in relationship, but it is real connection, loving people who are out there. There are people everywhere that we walk by. So the Thanksgiving ministry is a project that is not the end game. See, the end isn't slicing turkeys and packaging them and weighing them and taking them to people so that they can eat. That's important. But the end game is really to build relationship with that person to whom you take the dinner. Because the gospel always runs on the tracks of relationship. Relationship with God, relationship with other people, and relationship to those people that we're serving and loving to Jesus. Let me give you another example. I didn't get prior clearance for this, but Ron Anderson, you're here, aren't you, Ron? Where are you, brother? Wave to him. Right here in the front. Uh, Ron and Marilyn came over, as I mentioned, for dinner last night, and Ron put together a game. If you don't know Ron Anderson, he's like the, the you know, the nutty professor <laughs> in, in that, <laughs> not that he's nutty, but he just has all of these ideas, you know, and he's an inventor, and, and he just loves Jesus. He goes to the, uh, to the prison, and he, he made a game. Because what God has called him to do is to be out um, on the street and begin to relate to people in order to minister to them, simply praying for them, and then to, uh, to actually give them um, a, a place where they can equate what he pr is praying to leading them to Jesus. Now, if anybody are interested in the game, I'm sure he can uh, make, make some available or do some teaching even on it. But it has to do with developing an opener, and it's a role-play game where you, hey, that's an awesome shirt you got on, man. Well, yeah, my mom gave it to me or my wife gave it to me. And then after the opener, uh, there's the inquiry. Is there anything going on in your life that uh, perhaps we could, I could pray for? See, there's a, an inquiry, and then there's an instruction. Well, you know, that, that, that pain you said you had in your elbow, there were people in the, in the Scriptures that had pains like that, and Jesus healed them. So you're beginning to do this, this opener, this inquiry, this instruction, uh, in order to ultimately put your hands on them and bless them and pray for them, the laying, laying on of hands. And then you measure that. And that's what the game is all about. And then you equate what God did in that moment to what he wants to do in your heart and eternity. God loves you just the way you are. And see, Jesus said, if you abide in me and I abide in you, 
Two verses later, if my word abides in you, if you abide in me and my word abides in you, you can ask whatever you want and it'll be done for you. And then he said, this is so because my father wants to bring glory to himself. The question is, will we take the risk to move beyond just up and in and take some risk and go out? Now, I know this is probably greatly humbling for a lot of us. It is for me. But see, the, the message of Jesus is always come to me just like you are, and I'll never leave you just the way you are. Because the promise of Jesus is to transform each one of us from whatever glory that we're walking in unto another level of glory. In other words, so where the Father can be seen in your life. So what I'm going to do is um, I'm going to share the, the words of institution uh, here in just a moment. But I want us just to pray and to ask God to do a couple of things. One is to bless the physical elements here and set them apart for his purpose. But also that he would begin to speak to our hearts together as a congregation. So let's pray together. Okay. Father, we thank you for uh, giving us an opportunity again to come together corporately and to love you with all of our hearts. We thank you, Lord, that you've called us to be in community, in missional communities about what you're about, Jesus. And so, Lord, as we uh, just take this time, and um, would you speak to our hearts? God, we try to, to do more in our own strength, and the fact of the matter is, it's not us that does anything. It's you, Jesus, by your spirit living in us that answers the call of that same spirit speaking to our hearts. So, Lord, would you speak to each one of us in these quiet moments and would you take these common elements and set them apart for their holy use that we might meet the resurrected, victorious Lord Jesus in the midst of this celebration of this holy feast. 